This is Castle Stories, a podcast from Newcastle Castle about the rich history of the North East. Hello and welcome to Castle Stories. I'm your host, David Silk. One of the most enduring stereotypes of the medieval period concerns that perennial Halloween favourite, the witch. Everyone knows, or thinks they know, the medieval conception of a witch. Cackling wildly as she, and it is always she, flies on a broomstick. She has green skin, a long pointy nose and chin, invariably a wart somewhere, and is dressed entirely in black, including the uniform pointy hat. Most people also know that medieval people were obsessed with hunting and burning anyone suspected of being a witch, and that they had various strange ways of determining whether someone was or was not a witch. Although, if witches were green with black hats, you would think that they'd be pretty easy to spot. Some people might even chuck some figures in, and say that around 9 million women were burned as witches in the medieval period. Well, in this episode of Castle Stories, we're going to tackle both of these myths, looking at real medieval beliefs about witches and witchcraft, as well as the witch trials of what are sometimes called the Burning Times. First though, where does the stereotypical Halloween image of the witch come from? Well, for that, we can blame Margaret Hamilton. Well, actually, that's a little bit unfair. Uh, We can blame her costume and makeup designers in the 1939 film The Wizard of Oz. The Wicked Witch of the West in that film is probably the earliest incarnation of the complete witch stereotype, green skin and all. However, other aspects of her appearance in that film would already have been very familiar to people when the word witch was brought up. The image of the witch as an old hag was already a stereotype by the 17th century. Shakespeare refers to the weird sisters in Macbeth as withered and wild in their attire, while Reginald Scott, who was a contemporary of Shakespeare but was very sceptical of witchcraft, endeavoured to prove in his 1584 book A Discovery of Witchcraft that superstitious people were simply blaming their problems on poor old women who were ostracised because they had warts or some other physical blemish marking them out. Probably the closest real witch to this classic stereotype was Mother Shipton, a prophetess who lived in a cave in Yorkshire in the 1500s. Pamphlets depicting her invariably show her with a nose and chin so pointed that they almost meet in the middle of her face. Broomsticks, too, have been a feature of witch superstition for a long time. The earliest image depicting witches flying on broomsticks is from 1451. That said, they weren't the only vehicle for the aspiring witch. Witches are also shown riding on goats, stalks of straw, plates or dishes, people who have been transformed into horses, mortars, with the pestle being used to push it along, butter churns, and more. In fact, Pretty much any domestic item you would commonly find around a home in that period was believed to be used by witches for flying. By the 18th century, though, as the real belief in witches was fading, the broomstick had become the most fashionable of these implements. And by now, it's so closely associated with witchcraft that if you show somebody a traditional besom, they will immediately identify it as a witch's broom. 
Finally, what about the hat? There are a few theories around this, ranging from the belief that this pointed cap is based on a type of hat that Jews were forced to wear in parts of Europe, whereof some have suggested that these were alewives' hats, dunces' caps, and all sorts of origins for the pointed hat that witches wear. The fact of the matter is that witches weren't usually depicted wearing pointed hats in the sense that we would understand that, that the hats they're usually shown wearing are tall, um, but don't actually have a point on the end, they're flat on the top. Very similar to the archetypical pilgrim or Puritan hat. The form of this hat was actually nothing special, it was just a slightly old-fashioned hat by the time of the witch trials. In other words, exactly the sort of hat that an old, poor woman might be expected to wear. And that is really the final part of the stereotype. If you say witch nowadays, the character that comes up in people's heads is invariably a woman. But the truth is that while around 75-80% to of accused witches were women, and most of them do seem to have been over 40, you can listen to my earlier episode to decide whether this should count as old in that period, but that still leaves between a fifth and a quarter of all witches who were men. People often say, surely they were wizards or warlocks. Actually, words like wizard in this period had a somewhat different meaning, and the word warlock was rarely used, uh, and only ever used in Scotland. In most countries, although the witch was stereotypically female, the classic witch-hunting manual Malleus Maleficarium has this to say, that a greater number of witches is found in the fragile feminine sex than among men, women and men could both be accused of witchcraft, and were throughout this period. So that untangles a little of the stereotype of the witch. But what about the witch trials? Well, this is one of those things that isn't exactly a myth, but which gets wrongly applied to the medieval period. In England, we typically refer to the period between 410 AD and 1485 AD as the medieval period. The classic witch-hunting text referred to above, the Malleus Maleficarium, or Hammer of the Witches, was published in 1486, and it's this text that is seen as the starting shot in the War on Witches. The law in England that made witchcraft a crime wasn't actually passed until 1534 in the reign of Henry VIII, and the vast majority of prosecutions for witchcraft took place in the 1600s around the time of the English Civil War. So the phenomenon of the so-called witch craze belongs to what is usually called the early modern period of history, and not the medieval period at all. That's not to take away from how horrific this period was. In parts of Europe, where torture was a regular part of the legal system, being accused of witchcraft would invariably lead to a horrific ordeal, often ending in execution by strangling and burning at the stake. England was never quite caught up in the craze to the same extent as France or Germany was. Here, court records show that around three quarters of all people accused of witchcraft were acquitted, and the death toll stands at something between 500 and 1,000 executions between 1534 and 1716 when the last execution for witchcraft took place. In addition, witches were not burned in England. They were hanged. I imagine that would be pretty cold comfort for you if you were found guilty, as you were dead either way. The figure of nine million that is often quoted with regards to 
uh, the executions during the witch phrase, comes from an 18th century German author called Gottfried Voigt. The problem with his calculations is he was extrapolating the figure from a single witch hunt in a single year in one town in Germany, and then applied that death rate to every year in every country in Europe for the entire period from 600 AD all the way through to 1700 AD. Now, records are not complete, but a reliable estimate is that between 50 and 60,000 people were executed for witchcraft in Europe during the early modern period, which is still a horrifying statistic, but nothing like the 9 million that is sometimes quoted. If the witch hunts are more modern than medieval, what exactly did medieval people think about witches? Well, there were in fact lots of differences of opinion during that period. Superstitions about magic and witchcraft seem to have been strong in the medieval period, and magic certainly was a topic of discussion. The church generally divided magic up into two types, natural magic and demonic magic, or sorcery. Natural magic was done by the agency of plants, numerology, parts of animals, utilising the influence of the stars and things like that, and was often practised by perfectly respectable churchmen. We might call this a form of early science. It utilised secret properties of natural materials to achieve amazing results. Medieval scholars, like Roger Bacon, were credited not only with inventing eyeglasses and gunpowder, but also with creating magical brass heads that could foretell the future. And all of these things would be lumped together under natural magic. Demonic magic involved the conjuring of evil spirits to do your will, and was more feared, but was still mainly associated with learned magicians consulting hefty grimoires or spellbooks than it was with old crones living on their own in villages. And it was rarely prosecuted, except where somebody had supposedly been harmed by magic, or where it linked with charges of heresy. In fact, where witches are mentioned in medieval documents, it's usually with a tone of deep scepticism. In the early medieval period, the documents that mostly mention what we would recognise as witchcraft are church documents known as penitentials, which lay out the penance due for various sins. Coming at a time when Christianity was just starting to take over from paganism, they are mostly concerned with stamping out remnant pagan practices, like holding babies over a fire to cure illnesses, making offerings to trees and that kind of thing. Which would certainly fall under a broad category of witchcraft to most people. An influential early document of this type, called the Canon Episcopi, written in about the year 900, does contain some early material about witches flying through the air. However, it takes great pains to point out that while some women may be deceived by devils, into believing that they can fly or cast spells, such things only happened in their dreams. They caution that it would be a serious error to believe that anything like this could actually happen in reality, and in fact says that only very stupid and credulous people would believe in anything like this. Thus, although they did believe that the devil had power, they did not believe in actual witches. Indeed, Far from persecuting witches, this document imposes the death penalty on anyone who killed someone for being a witch. This tells us a couple of things. Firstly, the church did not believe in witches. But obviously, if people were going around killing people for being witches, plenty of people did believe in witches and believe that they were dangerous. 
In fact, we do sometimes see people being accused of committing murder by witchcraft in medieval documents. Given the general lack of belief that people could conjure devils or curse people, the likeliest explanation here is that witchcraft has another meaning. In fact, the words witch and poisoner are the same in many languages, and maleficium, which is the art of doing someone harm by secret arts, could easily cover both of these things, harming people by spells or harming people with poison. And in every medieval witch case that I'm aware of, um, there is certainly more than a hint poison is what's being used to commit the murder. Nevertheless, by the later Middle Ages, scholars were starting to change their minds on these things. Philosophers like Thomas Aquinas in the 1200s asserted that to practice magic was itself a form of heresy against God and the Church. These ideas were elaborated on just after the medieval period by two German friars, Heinrich Kramer and Jacob Sprenger in the notorious Maleus Maleficarium, a horribly misogynistic screed proclaiming for the first time the fully formed early modern belief about witches that they were members of a heretical cult of devil worshippers dedicated to bringing down Christian society, and that most of these spiritual terrorists were women. There are a few early witch trials in the 1300s and the 1400s. Alice Keitler, a noblewoman in Ireland, was prosecuted for sorcery as well as poisoning her husband. She escaped, but one of her servants was flogged and burned to death for helping her. Among the accusations were some familiar ones from later witch trials, including heresy, sacrificing to demons, and, of course, having sex with demons. In England, the most prominent medieval witch trial was that of Eleanor Cobham, Roger Bolingbroke, and Marjorie Jourdemain in 1441. Eleanor was a rich and well-connected noblewoman, while Marjorie was known as a sorceress, who could prepare love potions and poisons, as well as foretell the future. Bolingbroke was a clergyman, but was said to have been learned in magic. Now, the crime they were accused of was trying to predict the possible death of King Henry VI, which means this was not only heresy and witchcraft, but also treason. Again, the rich Eleanor got off relatively lightly with public penance and imprisonment, while poor Marjorie was burned for treason and heresy, and Bolingbroke was hanged, drawn, and quartered. Perhaps it was the growing paranoia among the upper classes of Europe, in light of the political turmoil of the late medieval period, that led to this growing worry about witchcraft and sorcery, which could potentially be used as part of plots against the state. But if this is true, it was a paranoia that was to prove fatal to tens of thousands of innocent women and men in the centuries afterwards. So the next time you see people out and about dressed as witches for Halloween, just remember that our stereotype view of witches comes from a very real craze and wave of persecution that swept over Europe. And that's all for this week, so I will see you in our next episode, where we'll have a look at a few more medieval myths. Castle Stories is a Newcastle Castle production. This week's host was David Silk. You can find out more about Castle Stories and about Newcastle Castle at newcastlecastle.co.uk.